Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy-to-use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. I had tried to rendezvous with Joe Mosley quite early in my ride. Joe was crossing the north of England by paddleboard at the time. But coordinating adventurers is always a tricky business. So it wasn't until Joe had finished her adventure and I was approaching the final few days of my bicycle ride that I cycled into Joe's hometown to catch up on the stories from her adventure. I had got drenched in a storm as I crossed the moors near Joe's home that morning. So I had to sit on a couple of towels while Joe made me a nice cup of tea and peanut butter on toast. And as we chatted, I was really touched by Joe's honesty, vulnerability, and her persistent determination to be positive and enthusiastic in everything she does. Okay. Hello, Joe. Hello. <laughs> Joe yes. has got a peanut butter sponsor so she's been feeding me <laughs> that's what no, you've made it in the expedition world proper nutty <laughs> nout but nuts peanut butter made in yorkshire <laughs> that is a good good thing joe you, yeah i've you made it said peanut butter <laughs> um thank you for welcoming me into your house and oh, out of the rain um do you think it's possible to have an adventure close to home absolutely I absolutely do. It's about seeing your home with different eyes, but I absolutely think you can have an adventure on your doorstep. Have you always felt that? Or is that a new um, realisation? I think I've always slightly felt it, but the last couple of weeks have just completely confirmed it for me. Yeah. So you're just home, your living mm. room still piled <laughs> high with kit, you're just home yes. from a coast-to-coast stand-up paddleboarding. Yes. Do you call it that or SUP? What do you call it? Um, I call it SUP, but I was going to call... I called it Paddleboard the North, and I was going to call it SUP the North, and then someone asked if I was just going to be drinking Drinking my (laughs) work. Yes. I was like, no, that's not really it. So I call it SUP or paddleboarding, whichever makes sense in the time. And... um, in your scale of adventures you've done yourself in your life, is this a, a big one or a small one, medium size? Um, I think it's a big one because it means a lot to me. So emotionally and timing wise, it means a lot to me. Yeah. So why did you why did you decide to paddleboard the north? Two, uh, three reasons. One was to fundraise. One was to raise awareness of litter pollution and plastic pollution, and the third was a really personal reason which was to 
show myself that I could be brave and do things when um, my boys are kind of leaving home and I wanted just to show myself that I could do something and have an interesting life outside of being a school run mum. Okay. And um, tell me a little bit more about that aspect of it. How, <laughs> how, how did that um, unfold? I just, uh, I met somebody in the street and she didn't look very well, but I didn't want to comment upon that. And I asked how she was and she just said that her um, youngest child had gone to university and she just was incredibly bereft. And I just thought, wow, that's going to happen to me. I'm aware that my youngest son will go off to uni and I'm a single mum and what am I going to do? Am I going to be like this mum that's always on the phone going, come home, come home? Um, and so I wanted to do something that gave them the knowledge I'd be okay, but also gave me in my heart the knowledge that I would be okay, that I had loads of stuff going on and and I didn't need to, uh, I didn't need them to worry about me. I think... Um... There are various different periods in life for mm. going on adventures. And yeah. I, my, the biggest adventure I did was straight after finishing yeah. university when yeah. you're still free and relatively, you know, that's, you have fewer ties. Yeah. And then I think then life comes mm -hmm. along. Yeah. But you are now entering your second youth. Yes. Your kids <laughs> are about to, well, your youngest is getting his A-levels yeah. this week yeah. and then he'll be off to uni. Yeah. And you're a single mum. Yeah. And suddenly this opens up. Yeah. Do you find this, um, I mean, for so long now you've had ties and commitments yeah. of mum duties. Absolutely. Do you feel this now exciting or a bit uh, bewildering? A few months ago, I think it would have been bewildering. But after this adventure, after these last two weeks, now I feel more excited. I feel like I can... The possibilities are bigger than I thought two weeks ago and the way that I can build my life, create my life um, while still paying the bills, <laughs> I think more possibilities have opened up. Definitely more exciting. Okay. Um, it's amazing the change that can come from a two-week adventure. <laughs> yes. isn't it? So there's a few different aspects of the yeah. trip I want to ask about. One is um, about the canals themselves. Mm. So mm. I been cycling around Yorkshire for a yeah. month and I wasn't actually well I don't think it even crossed my mind that the canals would be an interesting part of my trip mm. or even the West Yorkshire canal mm. towns yeah but I loved both of those yeah so what do you think about the this, the resource we have of canals I think it's extraordinary I have lived uh, my son's school is five minutes from the Leeds Liverpool Canal and I have parked in the car park and gone to school events and picked him up and never thought about the Leeds Liverpool Canal it just was not on my radar and then when I started doing this and training it was like oh my gosh this is on my doorstep and it's extraordinary and I have loved I've loved it I've loved the changes I've loved the differences I've loved seeing how it the scenery the bird life the people the houses the boats I'm I'm, I've become a bit of a bridge geek, you know, which is extraordinary. Um, I've loved it. And I think it's a resource that we often overlook and just is is wonderful, genuinely wonderful. It's genuinely wonderful, but um, full of plastic and rubbish. Yeah. So why, why, did, um, why, why does the litter side of things bother you enough to actually do anything about it because i mean i've been cycling around thinking oh that litter's terrible uh but don't do anything about it <laughs> yeah. well, that's honest of you um 
I've been picking up litter um, whilst I've been on my walks, on my bike rides, running for um, a couple of years now. And I'm part of the Two Minute Beach Clean community. So I wanted to do something that had a bit more purpose to it. Um, I think maybe in your 50s, you're looking for a bit of a purpose, and particularly at this stage of life. And for me, litter picking appears to be my purpose. (laughs) Um, And I really enjoy it. I genuinely enjoy it. It makes me feel like I belong to a place more that I'm looking after it. So I do it on the way to work, by the beach, in the park. And so this was just a natural progression. Just do it every day on a bigger scale and talk about it a bit more. What is the most common bit of litter you pick up? Plastic bottles, energy drink bottles. Energy drink. Any brands you'd like to name and shame? <laughs> oh, Alistair, don't get me into trouble. LucasAid. LucasAid. <laughs> or we... the own brand versions of LucasAid. We were talking earlier about... Um, the impact of trying to do stuff about yeah. litter. And we were talking about how, well, for example, what we're recording now, yeah. literally everyone who listens to this, yeah. I imagine, agrees that litter is bad. Yeah. And I imagine, I hope, <laughs> zero people that listen yeah. to this would throw litter. Yeah. So we were talking about how do you actually make any change? Yeah. Because the people who throw litter don't listen to this. Yeah. But perhaps someone at LucasAid might. They might. Maybe I should contact them. What is the most... Um, interesting bit of litter you've picked up um interesting uh i didn't pick it up but i did see a lot of trolleys and wheelbarrows and i lo- i saw a lot of those children's toys like tractors um like little boys and girls would play in um i saw bikes i saw baths didn't pick any of those up they're a bit big um balloons but generally it was just the boring stuff takeaway packets disposable cups crisp packets my oldest crisp packet was 1995 that's older than my oldest son wow yeah it's a long it's a long time around yeah used once long time out there exactly my experience of the canals riding around west yorkshire was of how beautiful Mm. and wild and clean it Mm. was was Mm. i just was I just not looking or are there um, p- parts that are much more... Oh, no, you're absolutely right. There's certain areas that are much cleaner than others. And so, for example, in Liverpool, obviously that's not Yorkshire, but in, in certain areas, the water was so clear, I could see the plastic bags on the bottom. <laughs> so actually, it's that's what's so amazing is that you've got beauty and sort of pollution and industry and rural and everything all in in this one ribbon through the country. So um, I didn't, I don't know what the water is like other than the plastic. I genuinely don't know. Um, but in, but so often there would be fish and bird life literally swimming in and around. I would, I would hear fish popping up and yet they would be right next to the pollution. That was, that was, it was that juxtaposition of the two that was so interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to change, change, um, topic now away okay. from the specifics of the yeah. canal trip to to say that or to ask you that you mention your age yes. quite a lot yeah so in your instagram handle yeah yeah healthy happy 50 yeah yeah um um the final post you did on instagram with the rainbow oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, the stuff you wrote on there you mentioned yeah. your name uh, your age yeah why is your age um a big part of the things that you're doing um probably because i how old are you i'm 54 (laughs) and a half um i guess because a lot of women feel embarrassed about 
getting older. And I don't want that to be the case. Um, often our age is seen in, in wider society and in the media as something that we should, you know, let's knock a few years off. And so I kind of try and just be really honest about it and say, I'm doing these things and I'm 54 and um, they're different to when I was doing them at 20. Um, and I want to encourage other women to feel that they can do them too. So um, that's probably why I I say it. And there is a bit of a movement within women um, on social media in their 50s to just say it proudly and say, you know, this is who I am and this is what I am. And, and you know, the media wants us to sort of fall off a cliff at this age. And actually we've got so much to give and so much to explore that um, I just share it. I didn't realise I shared it that much, actually. <laughs> Um, so when you were, let's say, 24, mm. what did you think that being 54 would be like? And, what, oh, and, what's, the reali- and what's the reality <laughs> of it? I thought I'd be wearing trousers with elastic-aced waist belts <laughs> and beige. And I think at 24, I thought my life would be really sorted and I'd have it all fig- figured out. And I realised at 54, I don't have it all figured out, but that's okay. And now it's still... I think now I feel as excited about life as I did in my 20s. Um, I think my 30s, 40s, I didn't, I was so busy being busy with my children and things. Life was very different. And I have that same sense of curiosity that I had in my 20s, again, in my 50s. Okay, so what does living adventurously mean to you now at this period of your life? Living adventurously is doing things with that element of curiosity, not always knowing what the outcome will be, but also that element of living really in the moment, really fully in the moment, whether that's a good thing like, or a hard thing, like climbing down into a canal, actually into the navigation, which is like a, a river but has been slightly tamed and thinking, I'm climbing down the ladder and I'm not entirely sure how this is going to work out, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's, a, for me, a living adventurously, not being sure of the outcome, but doing it anyway, and a little bit scary. And have you always had that sort of attitude? I think I've had it, but then in my 30s and 40s, I lost it. I got kind of scared by life and I I lost my bravery. I lost that curiosity. I just had my head down looking after my children and then divorce and stuff like that just sort of made life a bit more frightening for me. Um, but over the last few years with tiny, tiny little adventures in the sea and the hills, I've regained that confidence again. So what advice would you give to the 34-year-old version of yourself, if you could? Um, don't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself in... Very, my generation's very much taught that we should put everybody else first and by doing that you can lose who you are so I would say to her yes absolutely put all the priorities there but put yourself on the priority list I wasn't even on the list <laughs> literally I wasn't on the list I was just filling from an, an empty cup for many many years to the point where I was in my late 40s crying in supermarkets there was nothing left of me um and so I would say to her don't don't just think of everybody else do put yourself on the priority list and that's such a hard thing to say as a woman of my generation put yourself on the list it's just like we were never taught to do that but it's so important and I love I love watching younger women doing that and I'm like going yeah go you you know that for me that's a really brilliant change in society and um, what sort of things 
do you see younger women doing now that you're saying yay to what sort of things about putting yourself on the list do you admire in younger women? I see them taking time to go on their own adventures. I see them taking time to exercise, not because they have to or because they need to lose weight or they need to look a certain way, but just because they love it. I see them taking time to read and just be themselves rather than just being there for other people. And I think that's extraordinary. I love that. Do you think that uh, in this day and age that the way people live adventurously, Mm. let's say people in their 30s, is different from men and women or is it all equal and sunshine and rainbows? (laughs) Uh, Different for men. I, I think there is still, I think men still have greater freedoms. Sometimes you'll see chaps say, oh, and I did this. And the only reason you um, aren't doing it is because you don't want it badly enough. If you just believed in yourself, you know, you just need to do it. And it's just there and you should do it. And da di da di da And sometimes I go, okay, so um, if you have children, who's looking after the children whilst you're going off and doing these things? And maybe they have a different arrangement um, so that they can do that. But and maybe them doing those things pays the bills. But I do think that sometimes women have, if particularly if their mothers have more constraints on their time, um, and also we're not always taught to be, uh, we're not encouraged always to give, particularly when you become a mother, that whole guilt thing happens. You know, you shouldn't leave your children, da da da, da. Um, So yeah, I still think there is a little bit of a difference. Do you think you would have been a... Um better or worse mum had you gone off for a month's paddleboarding expedition at some point I would have been a better mum I I lost I lost my confidence I lost my sense of self I lost and I think maybe I sometimes would have been a better mum I would have been I've always tried to encourage my children to do their own thing but maybe there's always been a part of me that says do your own thing but only do it if you're really careful and nothing goes wrong and I think I would have been more encouraging them to say just do it and be yourself and follow your dreams and if it all goes wrong that's okay you'll find a way through it. There's a difference isn't there between encouraging your kids to live adventurously by Mm -hmm. saying to them go out and live adventurously (laughs) versus saying Follow me yes. and live adventurously, yeah. isn't it? Telling them something versus showing them something. Yeah, yeah. And I hope I've shown them with this that that they know, they've seen me when I'm scared. They've seen me when I felt like I had nothing to give. They they were literally with me when I was crying in supermarkets. So for them to sort of say, mum, I'm really proud of you for what you've done is, um, is really like we've all come on the journey together. And I hope that I've given them that confidence to say, go and do your thing. And I really, I believe in them more. I want them, I I feel now that because I'm more confident with my life, that I will encourage them to be more confident with theirs. I'm sure, I'm sure that will be the case. Um, When you were um, um, paddling, Mm -hmm. um, did you come across, um, was was everyone sort of encouraging you saying, wow, this is brilliant. Mm. What a great thing you're doing. Mm. Um, were people, were people, um, disbelieving of what you're doing or were people putting you down or was it a mixture of things? 97% I would, yes, 97% to be accurate. I counted it up. I would say most people were incredibly, um, positive. 
I don't think there was one woman that didn't say, wow, that's you're so brave. That looks really good fun. I wonder if I could do that. How could I do that? Or, oh, I don't think I could. And I'd say, no, I think you really could. Most men were very positive too. There were a few that questioned my ability. And I was surprised by the ease with which they found it okay to question me. That, If that makes sense. It was like, they didn't know me. They knew nothing about me. And yet they felt it was quite okay to criticize <laughs> me. And I would never do that. And I don't, there was no other woman that did that. Um, but this was just a very small percentage of men. But most days somebody would say something which just could easily put a doubt in my head. And at the beginning, I suppose I listened to them. And by the end, I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, I could feel my own sense of growth. So for example, at the beginning, they'd say, where are you going? And I would say to the next stop for that day, about halfway through, they'd say, where are you going? And I was going, I would say to the coast and I've come from the coast and I'm going to the coast. And I surprised myself by my level of confidence that I started to believe in myself again. And then when they questioned it, I would be like, yeah, mate, <laughs> didn't say that out loud, but you know, <laughs> under my breath. <laughs> Did any men say, that's great. I wish I could do what you were doing. Yeah, they did actually. Or yeah, not in so many words, but it was like, well, good on your lass. And I'm cool being called good on your lass. There was a lovely lock keeper at Pollington Lock and he'd read about it in the newspaper, which stunned me. And he said, good on you. That's really good. And and then there was a group of anglers um, just coming into Ghoul and I kept saying, that is Ghoul over there, isn't it? And they're going, yeah. And it was almost like they were... Um, they, they, again, were really encouraging and saying, yeah, good, go for it. So, yeah. And the women that you met who were saying, wow, that's great. Mm. Um, I wish I could do that, uh, but I can't, whatever. Mm. What what was stopping them from, in their heads, from doing what you were doing? Some people, they didn't even know what a paddleboard was. Um, and that's what's interesting. We live in a, you know, I live in a kind of bubble sometimes that I know, think everybody understands what a paddleboard is and they didn't. So it was literally, what is that? And how do I do that? And where can I do that? And where can I do that in my town? And so I sort of took their text number, uh, their mobile numbers and I said, I'll find out and I'll text you. Um, and I have two boards and, and so I would happily go back and show people. So maybe for some people, they just had never seen it, never experienced it. And Sometimes you'd see this kind of wistful look, you know, like, I wish I could do that. And I would love to go back and say, look, come with me. Because actually it's a lot simpler than you think. And a lot of paddleboarding is believing in yourself and just believing that you can do it and having that confidence. And every morning I would start, my legs would be a bit wobbly and I was a bit unsure. And by the evening I was doing squats, I was dancing on the board. And then I'd start again being a beginner each day. And when I went to the navigation, which is like wilder and bigger, I was, my knees were literally shaking, but by the end of the day, I was calm again. So, um, yeah, for some women, it's just, they've never experienced it or they don't feel like they can because they've got other commitments. And, and I think perhaps often it's, if you haven't seen somebody like you yeah. doing something, it never crosses your mind that it might be an option in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were literally people, the number, I, everybody, um, nobody ever said, oh, I've seen loads of paddleboarders. I often got, well, I've not seen that before. That would be on narrowboat owners. That would be lock keepers. That would be people walking on the bank. Literally, there was a couple of chaps who um, 
recycling from Liverpool and we were having really, really lovely little conversation. They were like, I've got a paddleboard, but I never even considered doing it on a canal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they were cycling and I was like, well, you should do it. Because um, I took my photograph. Uh, my camera out to take a photograph of the bridge in those time it's not time for selfies and I was like this isn't a selfie um and they were like god how do I do that so I told them about getting a British canoeing waterways license and that they could go on it and they were like oh god I never even thought of it and they have paddleboards so it's amazing yeah 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 um you describe yourself as being a a bit of a worrier (laughs) what were you worried about before the trip I was worried um, because I put it on my social media and I put up that I wanted to raise all this money and that I wanted to pick up later. I was worried that I was setting myself up for failure and everybody would be like, oh, she's a bit of a braggy. You know, that's my greatest worry in life that people think I'm a braggy kind of person. Um, so I was worried that I wouldn't complete it. I was worried that I wouldn't raise the money, that I was worried that I wouldn't be strong enough. Um but they were like superficial worries. Um, I listened to a podcast with Yorkshire Rose, who I know you know, and they said, Helen said that their superpower was believing in themselves. And so I decided a few months ago that I was going to be like them and take the belief in myself as my superpower. So there was this core bit of me that really believed I could do it. And the worries were like the superficial stuff that just comes and goes. There was... I said to some of my friends, I have failed so many times in my life. This is not the time for me to fail. And I just kept telling myself that. And the worries you had before the trip, Mm. how many of them came to pass in the the reality of the trip? None of them. (laughs) I've raised money. I've picked up litter. I've hopefully raised awareness. I didn't fall in. Um, nobody's, Nobody's said that I was being too big for my boots. Maybe they think that. I don't know. But... I'm chuffed. Yeah, I'm chuffed that I did it. And that's really hard for a woman my age. I know that I go on about it, but we weren't we weren't raised not it's not my parents they raised me to believe in myself, but we were always told to downplay our successes. So for me to say I'm really chuffed with what I did, I'm really proud of what I did doesn't come easily, but I am. I am. I am chuffed. You should be. Yeah, I am chuffed. Um <laughs> Can I ask you about um, the the big change in your life from being normal mum of two (laughs) towards a batty woman doing mad stuff? (laughs) Um, And there's a catalyst. You mentioned it a couple of times, like the the biscuit aisle in Tesco's. Yes. What what was this? What what were you then? And then what happened? Um, I was... So I was in Tesco biscuit aisle and my son, my eldest son had just volunteered to do the food for his Duke of Edinburgh trip, which basically meant mum had volunteered to do the trip uh, food. And I just was overwhelmed. Um, both my parents were going through chemotherapy. I wasn't sleeping and I just burst into tears in the biscuit aisle and said, I can't cope. <laughs> I just can't cope. And this was not the first time I you know, cried. I've cried in most supermarkets. Um And I said to a friend, I was relating it to a friend and she said, how much exercise do you do? I said, not really any. And she lent me an old indoor rowing machine that was going to charity uh, or to the tip. I'm not sure where. She just wanted it out of her house. Um, And I started rowing. I started sleeping. 
And literally, I just realized that moving and exercise was really beneficial for my mental well-being. How, how long of rowing did it take before you started to couple notice any benefit? A couple of couple weeks of exercise, weeks. you yeah, start to feel... A couple of weeks, yes. Um, it was in the kitchen and I just Still realized... is in the kitchen. Yeah, it was a different one. Yeah. <laughs> that one just decidedly yeah. broke. Um, and um, I realized that... Because I had been quite active as a little girl, but I'd stopped... I realized that it was it was all about just feeling better. And then I went into the gym and started rowing on a much better machine. And then when my mum died, um, I was in bereavement counseling. And um, the chap said to me, how does it feel? And I said, it, it feels like I am on the middle of a lake in really stormy waters. And every time... I think I've got something sorted, like, because I had my dad to look after, my boys, work, my own grief. I said, every time I feel like I'm sorted, this wave comes and hits the boat. And he said, so what do you need to do? And I said, I need to sit down and row back to the shore, the shore being my life. And obviously this was metaphorical, <laughs> but within about three weeks with absolutely zero planning, I decided to um, set up myself a challenge to row a million meters in a marathon from Macmillan Cancer in memory of my mum. And I did that over eight months and we raised 10,000 pounds with gift aid. And it just sealed that belief that moving and moving with purpose was really just gave me something really special. So how, how did it feel then when you had this, when you had a mission of, right, I've got to row a million meters, which is mm. very, quant it's a big thing, yeah. but it's a very, very measurable yeah. thing to do. Yeah. So presumably before you were a bit daunted, then you'd start yeah. doing it. Once you were in that process of yeah. those 200 days, how did that feel? It felt like I had a purpose somewhere to put my grief. Um, so I would go to work, come home, sort the boys out, go to the gym. And I had somewhere to take my grief. So sometimes I would be crying on the rowing machine. Sometimes I would be listening to music. Sometimes I would be talking to other people. Sometimes I did none of those things. All I did was row and it was a place to put my grief and it was a place to feel like I was with my mum, making a difference for other people whose families were going through chemo. Um, and yeah, when I came and finished it and, you know, I did a, a um, couple of half marathons. I did the marathon. I did the marathon five days before my 50th and on the first anniversary of her death. And it was, uh, it was just, it was like somehow I'd worked through my grief on that rowing machine. That's a good thing to do. Um, you describe yourself and having uh, met you for a few hours, I can understand this, but I'd never heard the phrase before. You describe yourself as a, a joy encourager. Yes. <laughs> what What is a joy encourager? I just, um, I made that up. It's good. <laughs> I just, I just want people to find what brings them joy. And when I say joy, I don't mean constant happiness. I don't mean la la land. I mean, even when life is tough, that there is some blue sky above, something to hold on to. And I just want other, I know what, what it feels like to not want to get out of bed. I know what it feels like to just be so sad that the world is going on around you and you don't know where you, where your place is in that world. And 
I just want other people to somehow find something that gives them that blue sky when everything else feels a bit. It's <laughs> a good description. Um, what book are you reading at the moment? Um, I'm reading Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Strayed. Um, I've started it so many times and for some reason or not finished it. Um, so that's my treat to myself. I've listened to so many podcasts with her and, and seen the film. I just want to read her words as well. Such a good book, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Have you read her? Um, she did an Agony Aunt column. No, I've got that. That's Sugar, Sugar something. Yes, that's, I've got that as well. It's so, really good. Yeah, I really like her. I, I, I just, I like the way she writes. I like what she says. I like her vulnerability. That answer you gave me wasn't what I thought you were going to say because oh. uh, you texted me this morning and said you were reading. Oh or, no! Audrey I, yeah. <laughs> no, I was reading about her. Sorry, uh, okay. yeah, I've never heard of her. Ah. So I saw the thing about your book, and then you talked about her. I never heard about her, so I was then reading just literally on the Patagonia website about her. But I will definitely read her book. Yeah, yeah. Audrey Sutherland is brilliant. She um, she's an American woman. Yeah. And I guess she was about in her 50s and she mm. looked in the mirror one day and she said, you're not getting any younger, are you, yeah. love? Time to get on with stuff. Yeah. And she has this um, mantra of um, go simple, go solo, go now, Yeah. which I absolutely love. Yeah, I love that too. I love that. And in a way, that's what this was because part of me wanted with, with my own paddleboard, the North, was should I wait till next year? So when I started this, I had a frozen shoulder. And I know that frozen shoulders can take some time to heal because it was my second frozen shoulder. And I still in January couldn't put my coat on properly. And part of me kept thinking, maybe you should train longer. Maybe you should put it off till Johnny's, you know, first year at uni. And then there was part of me that said, no, you have to do this now. This is, you have to do this now and prove it to yourself. So, yeah. And I can put my my hand, my arms up in the air now and my shoulders work. So <laughs> Something I'm enjoying from... Um talking to all these different people on my ride around is finding out about stuff that I know absolutely nothing at all about. Yeah. So please will you tell me about the the um, adventure benefits of the menopause? <laughs> the benefits of sure adventure I'm, sure for the say. menopause. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. What's, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, for me, so many people with the menopause have different experiences. And for me, the overwhelming thing was anxiety. Like, did I just run through a red light? Did I just run somebody over? Have I locked the door? I mean, just things that you used to be able to do. Sun, and I'm always a worrier, but this was on like steroids. And so what adventure does for me is it gives me that, well, A, it's a place to just calm down. So you're in the middle of the sea on your paddleboard. There's nothing else to think about. You're snorkeling. Your brain is just thinking, why is this so cold? But it calms you. You're running, um, cycling. It's just you're living in the moment. And when you live in the moment, those anxieties can just fade away. But also it's a way of feeling more confident because you do things that you don't ordinarily do. So like you can be out paddleboarding on the sea and the waves pick up and you have to literally fight through the waves and it gets a little bit iffy, but then you, you've done something that you believe in yourself. So it adds to helping the anxiety. And also um, you just build up your confidence in the face of this feeling of worry, which is just constant. Um, but also there's all the benefits because you sleep and that can be another thing with the menopause. You just don't sleep. Um, 
So for me, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful way to go come through a fairly tricky time. Other people do different things. I just think throwing yourself in the sea is a really great way. Um, that's my self-care. I don't do bubble baths. I throw myself in the sea. Yeah, I think... Uh... Yeah, jumping in cold water solves a lot of life's problems, I think. It does, because there's nothing else you can think about. And what I like to do is um, I go out into the middle of the bay and I put my fins on and I tread water. And then I just look around. I look at the birds. You can, you know, because with swimming, you've got your head down. Whereas if you're treading water with your fins on, it's like running. But you can see the world. You can see people on the beach. You can see the birds. Sometimes I see a seal out there. And so for me, that's just... That's like another sort of meditation, really. Yeah, interesting. Um, I've been going around talking to lots of people, and everyone I've been asking them some oh. uh, the same questions. All right. Look, you're looking anxious and worried <laughs> now. Are so, these tarot cards? No, they're not tarot cards. These are questions. So if you gra- oh, right. grab the pack, grab oh, grab me, a card. At, let me get my. Oh, do you need your glasses? This is the worst thing about the adventure. I kept saying, "Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses?" I need to find a solution for that. Ah, what is enough? What is enough? Um, I have it. I think the biggest lesson that I learned, maybe it's not the answer to this question, but it's got the word enough in, is that I am enough. I am enough and I have enough. Um, and I am enough. And it takes it's taken me 54 years to realise I am enough. Okay. Well, 54 years going to the answer, Sue. So... Do you want me to do another question? Yeah, go on. You can what? ignore any you don't want to do. Uh, like that one. <laughs> oh, home. What does the word home mean? Um, on the Friday, the 2nd of August, I paddled home and I paddled home to Skipton and it was my longest paddle. It was 25 miles. I've never paddled at night before and I paddled into Skipton at 10.30. I had all my safety stuff. It was fine. But I was coming home to a place that has looked after me and my boys for the last 12 years and um I love Skipton because it's such a normal non-pretentious town it's got a castle and it's got lovely streets but it's just down to earth it you get what you see on the tin with with Skipton and I paddled I paddled home to come home to sleep that night but I also paddled home to this place that has been our home through some tricky times and when we came here we were the boys and I were a bit battered and not physically battered and bruised but you know <laughs> just clarify that nothing you know but emotionally we were battered and bruised and there was just the three of us and we moved to this tiny little house and they could see me and I could see them at all times and so Skipton has been our home and that's yeah it's nice to paddle to home as well isn't it it's amazing yeah, yeah. how did it feel then paddling away from here did you feel Sad to be carrying on your trip, or did you no, feel you had I felt some warmth? Ref- nourished. I felt nourished. I felt really nourished because when I came through that night, um, I was going under bridges that I'd paddled in the day. I saw swans that in the past I'd been scared of. I saw trees that I recognised. I just and I saw a man on the on the towpath, and he went, "Oh, you scared me." And a lot of people had worried that I would be frightened on the t- on the canal or if I would be in danger. And this was quite sweet because he was there and I had frightened him. <laughs> um, and and there were fairy lights on boats and there were fairy lights in people's houses. And um, yeah, coming home was 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 massive. And I just felt nourished by it 
just it was one of those magical moments that I don't think I will ever forget. And yet I was five minutes from home, literally in the car, but it was like a different world. So that's that's home. This is a place I feel safe and nourished. Isn't that amazing that you can get this such a powerful experience just by doing a paddleboard trip down a little canal just in your backyard almost? So close yeah, to home. It literally. And it's made me want to do more sunrise and sunset ones, definitely. There was there's something magical about the the, the light fading. And at one point I did think I was hallucinating because <laughs> I wasn't sure if I'd seen a swan or or if I was hallucinating, but it was a swan. Okay. Um what would I do lift differently if I live my life? I would just be braver. And it wasn't I don't think that we need to teach girls to be brave. I think we are brave. We just need to stop giving them, we need to stop telling them that they're not brave. So I would just be braver and I would, I would. What, put, what do you mean by braver? You're not talking about wrestling tigers. No, but just brave enough to live, live your life on your terms. And so, for example, somebody on Facebook, and I'm rubbish at Facebook, so it's funny that I saw it. Um, I've made... The BBC made this little clip about what I did from my own footage. Um, I put it together and somebody um, called me a fruit bat on a glorified surfboard. And that's really quite a compliment, you know. He was he was not he was insulting you. Wasn't oh, he, he was insulting yeah. me, yeah. But for me, that's like um, you know, I read a quote that said, if if you're gonna talk about me, just say, Yeah, but she's doing her thing. And that for me is being brave. It's just doing your thing just quietly doing your thing in a little way that you can feel that you can slightly change the world for better. I can't, um, there's a great quote from a book I love called one uh, book called one day by David Nichols. Um, and he said, you, you know, not change the world, but change the world around you. So as a little fruit bat, I'm just changing the little bit of <laughs> world around me. And that's what's for me is I would do differently. Okay. Joe, I think uh, a fruit a fruit bat on a glorified surfboard is a perfect <laughs> place for us to uh, to end this now. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me to your home and oh, sharing thank this. thank you. And thank you for giving me a present of peanut butter. <laughs> My you, pleasure. You know, for anyone who's been on a big trip knows to give gifts of food. So <laughs> thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is with sport-specific routing. Kamut doesn't just plan any route. Oh no, Kamut plans your route. Select your sport, choose your start and end points, and Kamut plots a route using the best option for you. Whether that's smooth asphalts for your road bike, quiet gravel tracks for some chilled mountain bike riding or bike touring, or a road-free trail for your walk or ramble. After that, you can personalise your route even more by dragging the pins on your desktop screen or app 
to include your chosen destinations along the way of your adventure. Your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Commute. Head to commute.com slash G and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.